folk, noise, electronics, improvisation. How can radical music help us manifest new possibilities for thinking and imagine new ways of organizing community through ritual behaviors, actions, and languages? You're listening to the Liquid Architecture Podcast. Today, Bhairavi Raman reflects on her early love for the violin, the questions that push her musical practice to new parameters, and expands on her inquiries into the space between Western and Carnatic classical music. Bhairavi Raman is an Indian-Australian violinist, classically trained in Western and Carnatic forms. She merges concepts and techniques to express her bicultural identity, representing a formidable blend of traditional knowledge honed in India, technical mastery, musical boldness, and an authentically Melbourneian voice. My name is Bhairavi. I describe myself as an Indian-Australian violinist, an improviser um, and a curator. So I am currently based in Melbourne. I'm trained in Carnatic music but also in Western classical violin and I also spend a bit of my spare time cultivating engagement in in music by organising concerts and workshops through an organisation that I run called Gamaka. I became obsessed with the violin at a very young age. I would have been maybe like three or four years old. It was actually because I was observing my mum play the instrument at home. So she used to learn the Carnatic violin when she lived in India. And then I was born in the Middle East, but my parents moved to New Zealand. And when she moved to New Zealand, she actually picked up Western violin as a hobby and a way of sort of staying in touch with the instrument because back then there were no Carnatic music teachers in Wellington, New Zealand. From the age of about four or five, I just kept bugging them to enrol me in a violin class. And I think after they realised that I was um, actually serious about it, I think they relented when I was six years old. I guess the simplest way to describe it is, is a system of music. It's, it's a classical art form that's commonly associated with the southern region of India and it's, it's many, many sort of centuries old. In terms of sound or characteristic, I'm not really sure how to describe it. I think it is a form of music that evolved from what we call the Samaveda, so basically from Vedic chanting which means that its emphasis over many generations has been on a vocal style or vocal music. 
but over time it's been adapted to instruments as well. So the violin is actually an example of an instrument that was introduced to Carnatic music from, from Western classical music. It's only very recently that I've even started to explore the space in between or start to recognise that there is a grey area in between. I think classical music has been with me for 24 years. I've had the privilege of studying two forms of classical music, so both Carnatic music and Western classical. So actually when I started learning violin in New Zealand at the age of six, I actually first enrolled in Western violin because, like I said, there's there's no teachers of Carnatic music in New Zealand at the time. And I started learning through a discipline known as the Suzuki Method, which is a music philosophy that's grounded in sort of teaching you to learn sensitivity, discipline, endurance, but but particularly with a focus on, on developing an ear for music or, or audition. And I think this was a really deliberate move because I think my mum wanted me to eventually learn Carnatic music. And at the time, there were no Carnatic music teachers. But a few years later, that's when I started learning Carnatic vocal music in New Zealand from a family friend. I guess I have only ever thought of my art forms as separate. So I think for 20 years, I started learning, you know, Western violin separately and then Carnatic violin separately and began two very separate musical journeys. And, it, you know, I kind of pursued Western music through school, got involved in school ensembles, orchestras, choir. And then by evenings and by weekend, I was also a Carnatic vocalist, so really heavily involved in my South Asian community events and performances. And, and I was part of a Carnatic music school as well in Melbourne. It was only when I got to my kind of late 20s that, that I started thinking about maybe this is kind of poetically follows my own identity formation journey of, of any third generation kind of or, or second generation migrant where you you get to this third culture phase when you're like I, I just can't be compartmentalized anymore I kind of need to weave together my different parts of my identity as I got to my late 20s and started forming a more bicultural identity that was a bit less compartmentalized like naturally my music has also started to form in that way as well so I think my exploratory phase it started towards the end of 2019 um, and it's when I just wanted to kind of think about my art a little bit differently um, and, and, and start to sort of change the relationship that I had with it. Um, but the funny thing about the timing is that it happened at the end of 2019, right? So it was kind of just in time for the pandemic to come along and completely redefine my entire relationship with the art anyway. So I think what happened is that it also forced me to start investing in local opportunities. So it's only very recently that I've even started to think about creative capacity building within the Australian arts context, because previously I've I'd just been completely fixated on building and maintaining a profile as an artist in India. So I used to travel every single year um, to India for big music festivals that, that happen in, in December in, in Chennai. Um, and all of my listening, learning, creative practice development has just been completely fixated on India. But I've never thought to think, hey, I could also be a Carnatic musician in Australia and I actually could, you know, forge a path here. It's just not a thing that I ever considered until the borders shut and I had no choice but to. It, it seems silly because I've I've grown up here, right? Like I... I, I am Australian, I am Melbourneian. It, uh, of course it makes sense to, to want to engage in the local arts in and why haven't I invested in, in sort of building and, and, and creating a musical or an artistic career in Australia? Like in hindsight, it seems so silly that I had just switched off or, or discounted that as a possibility.
So Gamaka essentially just started as an independent platform that provides performance opportunities to Karnatic musicians. It might be helpful to set the scene a little bit. So um, my guru in, in India once said to me once um, that you reach a point, particularly as an accompanying violinist, where a huge part of your learning happens on the job, right? So it happens through playing concerts. And that's really well and good in India when there's, you know, there's a whole musical ecosystem and a cultural landscape that actively supports your development through concerts. There's a sort of cultural landscape that mirrors your development opportunities. And what that means is that there's a pipeline of musicians that are actively being developed from a young age all the way through to adolescence. But then in diaspora communities, I mean, some of those opportunities are not there, right? Like I think people have done the best that they absolutely could do with, with the sort of limited resources that we've had. And it's been, I think I'm so privileged to have even had the opportunity to learn. And, and that's sort of off the back of an entire generation of people who migrated here over sort of 30, 40 years ago, established music schools, many of them balancing a day job while also dedicating their nights and weekends to sort of teaching people. So my generation is a product of three to four decades of dedication on the part of music and dance teachers that migrated from India. But at the same time, when your cultural ecosystem doesn't support it, it means that basically there's a gap. So there's a gap when it comes to performance opportunities for young and emerging artists. So Gamaka's genesis was actually about addressing the gap. So trying to find more opportunities for people to come together, to engage, to talk, to think, to share Karnatic music. And along with a couple of friends, it was actually my mum that started the idea. It started at home through, through just informal concerts at home that are specifically focused on the younger generation. And it was actually, it used to be called Youth Sangeet, which, which stands for sort of youth music, literally. But later on, I guess five years later, um, my husband, Nandesh, and one of my best friends, Ramya, so they actually decided to take the concept of Gamaka and turn it into something bigger. So that's how Gamaka was born. And the name was changed to Gamaka in recognition that, you know, we're not always going to be young. And in some ways, we're perpetuating a label that's not really accurate. Like lots of musicians here might be young, but they're not inexperienced. They're quite mature as, as musicians. We try to foster a more collaborative approach rather than sort of people being stuck to different schools of music. And it, it's very intentionally and de deliberately a sort of place that tries to be inclusive of people from many different South Asian backgrounds as well. I guess since 2015, we've curated around oh, probably like 70 concerts now and we've featured about more than 80 artists, I think, mostly from Melbourne but also other parts of Australia. I think Melbourne is also a really different place to what it was 10 years ago, so it's been really lovely to sort of see the growth in our artistic community over that time as well. It's been really lovely to, to be a small part of that growth. It's, it's a team of six of us that run Gamaka, so it's certainly not just my own thing. I think as an organisation, we've asked ourselves lots of questions about who we are, why we exist. And I think particularly during the pandemic, we had a series of, we called them strategy workshops internally, but it was really just a wonderful opportunity to take a step back and ask the sort of existential questions about who are we, who do we serve, why do we exist? And something really beautiful that came from that was that we realised that we've been so fixated on performance and performance is a huge part of the learning journeys and it, it is still something that's really important to us. But by fixating only on performance, perhaps we're missing other opportunities for engagement. 
For example, there may be people who may not necessarily see performance as their way of or preferred way of engaging with the art form, but that shouldn't mean that you can't have a conversation about Karnatic music, that you couldn't sort of share your knowledge with people, that you couldn't attend concerts and listen. So I don't know, I think we've just started to think about the idea of Karnatic music and engagement in Karnatic music in a broader sense than just rocking up to a performance and and performing or listening to a performance. So something that we've been trialling over the last couple of years is more conversations and more um, workshops and and also ways to sort of get a broader reach so so it's not just something that exists within the silos of, of South Asian communities, but perhaps we can also be more inclusive and make our art form a bit more accessible as well to other communities. So that's certainly something that I've been thinking about. In terms of how it's changed my relationship with my art as a musician individually, I think because I'm so defined by performance, I think sometimes I don't allow myself the space to think about engagement, knowledge, research, learning. So I think that's what it's prompted me to sort of think about a little bit more, that there's a lot more to being a musician than just preparing for your next gig and that there's something really beautiful about just shutting yourself in your room and thinking about something for, or sometimes overthinking it, but but just really taking the time to explore and ask questions and, and be in that curious state of mind that you don't need to necessarily polish something for performance. It can sort of stay in that development phase for quite a while. Typical Karnatic music concert can be anywhere from between sort of an hour and a half to three hours. The longest I've ever played is four hours, and it was it was painful. But it's sort of you know it's it's an it, it's very much in a sort of an endurance thing. But it means that I guess you're you're used to sort of not really having to think so carefully about timing and 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 repertoire because you usually have a lot of time um, up your sleeve. My planning typically becomes more detailed in the last week or so before the performance because that's when I start to visualise the space, the performance, and it sort of reflects my state of mind a little bit more accurately closer to the day. A huge part of our repertoire is also improvised music as well, so it means that you sort of have a high-level plan and then you kind of think about where you're going to include some of those improvisational elements. The thing I'm grappling with, though, is how much... Do you introduce experimentation for the sake of experimentation versus just sticking to what you know best? I am going through an exploratory phase, but I think because that phase coincided with also my pivot to investing in local art scene, I think sometimes I conflate performing in a new venue in Melbourne with this idea that I must present my art differently or display experimentation and innovation in my practice. And sometimes I just I've come back to my roots in that actually sometimes you don't have to present it differently 
sometimes you can just do what you do best um, or, or what you know best or, or what's in your comfort zone. But some of the things, I guess, the questions that I'm grappling with, I guess it's emotional baggage that I'm carrying with me. It, it's sort of questions like, how do I develop my creative practice in a way that actually feels more relevant to my lived experience? So how can I actually express my own thoughts, feelings and emotions in a way that brings out the sum of my various sort of siloed or compartmentalised parts? The other question is then, but how do I push boundaries without feeling like I'm doing a disservice to the art form? So I think sometimes I get worried that I'm shallowing the depth or I'm reducing down the art form. And particularly um, on audiences who might be hearing this form of music for the first time, I get worried about creating a false impression of sort of this is what chromatic music is when actually it's just my interpretation of experimental sort of things that I'm trying, but it's certainly just one small drop in the ocean of, of what the music actually is. And then the last one I think I grapple with is, is this idea of innovation. So am I doing it because I want to? Am I doing it on my terms or am I doing it because I feel like I have to? Am I pandering to sort of what I've assumed is palatable to a particular audience or to a particular art space? So I'm, I guess I'm just challenging my own assumptions that I'm making about what people want. moment I'm thinking of pulling together mostly like traditional Carnatic music repertoire. I think I, I like to sort of start and finish with a, a traditional piece at least and then maybe leave some room for exploration in the middle. I typically use, I mean, I'm very new to the world of sort of effects processing and enhancing my playing with sort of technology, but I mean, it'll mainly just be my my acoustic violin with a with a new microphone that I now have. But if I do choose to do some of the exploratory and experimental things that I've been doing involve the use of an effects processor, um, which includes a looper. So I might like create some chords and then loop over the top, but that's kind of the extent of it. There's nothing nothing too fancy there. <laughs> Accompanied by Nantesh Sivaraja, Bhairavi Raman will be playing at the Oratory, Abbotsford Convent, on Sunday the 10th of July, alongside YL Hui for Liquid Architecture's Ritual Community Music Series. You can find tickets at the link in our show notes. This podcast was produced by Mara Schretfeger for Liquid Architecture on the land of the Gadigal of the Eora Nation. We acknowledge them as the traditional owners of this land, and recognize that sovereignty has never been ceded. 
we pay our respects to their elders past and present. Liquid Architecture is an Australian organisation for artists working with sound and listening. You can support our podcast and online journal Disclaimer through a Patreon subscription for as little as $5 a month. Find the link in our show notes. Thank you.